not neglecting to meet together, I think was the version that Christine read, or in the NIV it says, let us not give up meeting together. I wonder how you felt hearing those words. Um, It's quite challenging, isn't it, to hear that after almost two years of living through the pandemic with all of its restrictions on meeting together and self-isolation and social distancing and all that. And of course, quite rightly and wisely, many of us are still very cautious about meeting together in many different contexts. But if we heard Patrick last week on Vision Sunday speak about our vision for the year ahead, we will have heard him say that part of what we want to grow in this year is for us all to connect as a worshipping community where everyone is known and loved. And I think one of the blessings of this past season for those of us with access to the internet has been the possibility of staying connected with others online. For example, morning prayer on Zoom. And I know even if we don't have a computer at home, the phone has been a lifeline for many others of us. And Annalisa mentioned the wonderful Daily Hope phone line in her prayers, which I know has blessed many. We can connect with others without meeting face to face, but isn't there just something so special about being together in person that I know means so much to so many of us? And in a church this size, one of the best ways of staying connected with others is through small groups. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I get excited about small groups. I want to get there too quickly. Let's take a step back because some of us might have questions about some of this. Why is it so important to stay connected? Why bother coming to church? Why be part of a small group? Our passage from Hebrews has got a lot to say in response to those questions, but let me begin by praying for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage from your word, and we pray, Lord, that as we look at this together this morning, you would open our eyes to meet with you, Open our hearts to receive what you want to say to us this morning by your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I wonder if you can remember what was the first word in our reading that Christine read for us. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up. I'm going to tell you. The first word was, therefore. And somebody very wise once said to me, and I'm sorry, this is a bit of a bad joke, but when you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to ask, what is it there for? I know, bear with me. But this therefore looks back to the first nine and a half chapters of Hebrews that is packed full of wonderfully rich theology. And the first half of today's passage summarises those nine and a half chapters in just one very long sentence. And so we're going to start by unpacking some of these riches together. Now, just as I begin, Hebrews is one of those books of the Bible where we're not really sure who wrote it. Scholars have got lots of different theories, lots of different people, as many opinions as there are writers about it, but we don't have a definitive answer. 
But one thing we do know is that it was written to Jewish Christians in the first century. And so in the book of Hebrews, there is a lot of reference to Old Testament temple worship, a lot about the the Jewish temple, a lot about the sacrificial system. So we're going to get some of that as we go through. And that's where the writer begins. I think the version Christine read said the sanctuary, but in my translation, it refers to the most holy place. And it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. So in the Jewish temple, the most holy place was the sanctuary right at the heart of the temple. If you were coming to worship, you progressed through from the outer court of the Gentiles. That was as far as you could get if you weren't an Israelite. Then the court of the Israelites, which was, sorry, no, after that was the court of the women. I'm getting ahead of myself again. The court of the women, that was as far as half of the population could go. And then the court of the Israelites, which if you were a male worshipper, you could get that far. Then there was the holy place. So if you were a priest going about your business in leading worship, you could go into the holy place on a fairly regular basis. But then there was the most holy place. And it was only the high priest who could go into the most holy place. And that was only once a year. So he, and I'm afraid it was always a he, he could go in only with the blood of an animal sacrifice to make atonement for his sins and the sins of the people. And they even tied a rope around him so that if he was overcome by the glory of God or had a a fainting fit or something, the others didn't have to go in and get him, they could pull him out again. It was that holy. And there was a curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place where the presence of God was believed to dwell. And this was all showing that there was a huge barrier between the people and God They could not enter his presence. They had to be kept at a distance. And even the high priest himself could only draw near with those sacrifices to make atonement for sin that had to be repeated again and again and again. But let me read again those words from Hebrews. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. When Jesus died on the cross, that curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, it was torn in two from top to bottom. And it was such a big curtain that there was no way a person could have reached up the top to do that. That was a a tearing that was the work of God. It was God who broke down that barrier. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross has dealt with our sin once for all and we can now confidently enter into the presence of God. Hebrews continues, we have a great priest over the house of God. That's Jesus, our great high priest. I've done a fair bit about reading, of reading about priesthood over the last few years, the journey that I'm on, and the best definition of priesthood I've come across says this, 
A priest brings God to people and brings people to God. I love that because that is exactly what Jesus has done. Because he is fully God, he is the one who could break the power of sin and death once for all. And because he is fully human, he can take our place and bear our sins on the cross. There's now no need to repeat those animal sacrifices again and again and again because Jesus has made atonement once for all. He has dealt with sin and given us access into God's presence. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, so what? What difference does it make that Jesus has opened up for us access into God's presence? How should we respond? Well, the writer goes on to give us some thoughts, and I'm going to explore these under two categories. Firstly, connecting with God, and secondly, connecting with other people. So firstly, connecting with God. This is what we read. Because of all that Jesus has done, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us draw near to God. Jesus has torn down the barrier. The way into God's presence is open. But will we choose to walk through that open door. We're not forced to do so, but God longs for us to draw near. And we can come in full assurance of faith. That's quite hard sometimes, isn't it? And I don't think it means that we're not allowed to have any doubts or questions because, let's face it, we all do have doubts and questions from time to time. But no, this full assurance of faith is simply pointing to the fact that we can completely and simply trust in what Jesus has done in dealing with our sin. Our faith is based on Jesus, not on ourselves. It's not that we have to kind of summon up enough faith to be good enough to get into God's presence. No, faith is simply saying yes to what Jesus has done and walking through that open door. And our hearts can be cleansed from the weight of guilt and shame that sometimes weighs us down. Maybe we feel like we're not good enough. We don't measure up in some way. Perhaps it's something that we did in the past that we don't feel we could be forgiven from. Perhaps it's something that others have done or said to us that makes us feel worthless. But because of Jesus' death and resurrection we can let those things go. They're dealt with once for all and we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. There's no shadow on our relationship with God. Jump me to. I'm going to do the handheld. Is that on, Barry? Yeah. 
So we are children of God, loved and accepted just as we are. And we can come with hope in our heart as well. We're encouraged to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. And that's a hope that is not based on our circumstances. And isn't that just a great relief? Because so often we face difficulties and challenges in our lives that could make us lose hope if we put too much weight on those things. But our hope is based on the faithfulness of God. God is unchanging. He is always on our side. And he has taken the initiative to bring us into relationship with him. So can I ask you, how has God been faithful to you in the past? Perhaps you can see ways in which he has blessed you. Perhaps you can identify that he has held you and walked with you through some really tough times. God is always faithful, so we can keep trusting and keep walking with him, whatever the future may hold. So at the start of this year, can I encourage you to make that connection with God a priority by spending time daily in prayer, in reading the Bible, in giving thanks for God's faithfulness to you in the past, and keep on holding unswervingly to that hope, knowing that he will always be faithful. In the final section of our passage, the focus changes a bit. And so we move on now to consider how we can connect with others. Here are the last couple of verses from the passage again. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the writer expects us to take seriously our commitment to one another. Let us consider how we may spur one another on is not just a kind of be nice to other people if you feel like it and get around to it and have the time, but it's a challenge to think about and take seriously This call to encourage one another to think and act in ways that honour God. We need one another. Living as a Christian can be really hard. And by meeting together regularly, we can share stories about how we have seen God at work. Offer practical wisdom about how to live out our faith. And hold one another accountable. And the very fact that the writer includes the words, let us not give up meeting together, tells me that some of the recipients of the letter were doing exactly that. I mean, it was hard then, and it is still hard now. But there is no greater priority. The passage ends with the words, all the more as you see the day approaching. This day is the day of Jesus' return. He will come back in glory, We don't know when, and he calls us to be ready. So let's encourage one another to keep going, to stay connected to God. The prayer and love and practical support that we can give each other make all the difference in the world. 
I bet you've heard this picture before, but it bears repeating. Imagine that we are all like glowing coals in a fire. It's easy for those coals to stay warm and red when they're together, but pick one up and take it out of the fire and it quickly becomes cold and gray. We're part of a large church with four different congregations and it's just not possible to have that close connection with everyone. But that's where small groups come in. Now I know that many of you here are already committed to being part of a small group. And to you, I just wanna say, bless you. Keep going. Keep meeting together, whether that's online or in person, and keep encouraging one another and equipping one another to live out your faith day by day. But perhaps you're not in a group at the moment. Maybe you were once in, in a small group, but other things came along that took up time in your diary and it just wasn't possible to keep on going. Or maybe your group came to an end for perfectly good reasons and you've just not got around to joining a new one. Or maybe you've never considered being part of a group. Perhaps you feel like it's not for you or you haven't got anything to offer. If any of those are you, we would love for you to join one of our small groups. Come and speak to me at the end or give me a ring during the week and I'd love to try and find the right group for you. As Patrick said, there are groups in the daytime, groups in the evening, and there's a whole range of ages of people involved. I mean, literally 18 to 90 plus. So there's a group for everybody here. A new year is a great time for a new start. And in light of all that God has done for us, there can be nothing more important than staying connected with him and with others. When I met with our small group leaders at the start of this term, as I do regularly every term, I asked them to have a think and come up with some images that describe what being part of a small group means to them. I'm gonna finish by sharing some of these pictures with you now. So small group is dot, dot, dot. Small group is a lifeline, an anchor, a safe harbour to escape the storm. Small group is a family. You can be yourself, be known and loved. It's an honest place to ask silly questions. It's like lots of dots that you bring together and join up in a circle. And then it becomes a bicycle wheel that rolls on together. It's like bringing together the ingredients of a cake. All are important all are needed to make the whole. And, I love this one, it's like bicarbonate going into warm vinegar. It becomes effervescent and exciting. That's what we'd love for you to be part of, and I encourage you to accept the invitation.